Now, if you attended the previous ones, you know Scylla and Sadda are just as important, not just Panya. Without Scylla and without Sadda, uh, Panya also can't start or it can't, can't work properly. So be sure to check out the earlier sessions also. Okay, Panya. What's Panya? Intuitively, we all kind of know that Panya is important. Intuitively, we kind of know that without Panya, not possible to realize Dhamma, Nibbana. And if indeed it is that important, then what it is, one has to know for sure. Now, Panya is one of the factors that have been mentioned many times in the 37 factors of enlightenment. It appears actually everywhere. Now, this is what we're going to cover today. I'm going to define Panya, explain to you what the term means. I will also give you a sense of what it does to the mind. How does it help you in this spiritual journey as a means of explaining why it is so important and then how do you develop it. First, what is Panya? Literally, it means wisdom. I prefer to use the word intuitive wisdom. What is the difference? You can have mundane wisdom, but you need a kind of wisdom that allows you to know where you are going and what you are doing in terms of the spiritual practice. Without Panya, not possible to see Dhamma. But Panya is not intelligence, it's not intellect, it is not logic. Neither intelligence, intellect, nor logic. So what is it? i tell you what it does, okay? Panya, as I've said, is intuitive wisdom. What it does to you is, first, does three things to you. First, it enables you to know what is going on in the mind. When you have developed the mind to a certain state where you can see what is going on in the mind, there has to be a state that allows you to know what is it that is going on and understand it correctly. And what do we mean by that? Now, I'm going to just throw concepts at you for now. You bear the concepts in mind. Subsequently, they will come out again and I will refer to them and explain further. Okay? The first thing is, you know, Buddha talks about Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path. He talks about five aggregates, six sense bases, Nama Rupa, mind and body. These are terms that he would use consistently over and over again. If you attend Dharma talks or you read the suttas, you will come across all these concepts again and again. If you have Panya, that intuitive wisdom, if you have that mental faculty, it is then possible for you to see these states as they arise in your mind. You will recognize them. You know what it is and you understand what it means. So, for instance, we talk about uh, five aggregates. So just, just talk something like five aggregates. Feelings. Then you say, I know feelings what? Right? You don't know feelings. <laughs> Seriously, you don't know feelings. You know feelings, right? You know perception, sanya. You know vinyana, consciousness. Really? 
<laughs> really? How come not realized yet? Huh? I know, I know. Okay. When you have a state of feeling, typically the normal mind will just call it feeling and they get caught up with it. If you are a practitioner and you, there is panya present, then what you would have is you will see feeling as feeling, an object, not something that you get caught up in, but just note that there is feeling and you recognized it somewhat detachedly. In the same way, we are always caught up with hearing, seeing, tasting, touching, so on and so forth, right? These are experiences. Look, you are all sitting on the floor. Can you feel your butt on the floor? Yeah? The ones who can't feel, try. <laughs> Harder, okay? You can feel it. But until I pointed it out to you, you are not aware of it. So your consciousness was not there. Your consciousness is listening to, I hope, I hope, listening to the Dhamma talk <laughs> and looking at the, the screen, okay? I, I hope, I'm just hopeful. Okay. Consciousness, when the Buddha talks about it, is being aware of that connection. I'm hearing, there is, sorry, there's hearing, there is seeing, you are aware of the mind being on the object. If you have panya, immediately the mind knows. This is the mental state that is taking place at that moment. The mind knows it. That the mind knows it is panya. And just imagine having to catch it all the time. Knowing, understanding what's going on all the time. Panya makes it possible for you to know it and catch it. Second, so you know what's going on. Are you then able to relate what is going on in the mind to the Buddha's teaching? Buddha talks about the Four Noble Truths. We all know the Four Noble Truths. Some of you could even rattle it off in Pali, so clever, you know, or Sanskrit, ragi clever. But being scholastic about it, conceptually understanding it, it's not it. It is to realize it, to understand what it means as it happens. So you experience a sense of unpleasantness. Did you call it dukkha? Or did you call it, yeah, this is really not sure. Did you call it dukkha? Are you able to see that that is the first noble truth? And then can you see your mind pushing it away, trying not to experience the dukkha? When your mind's trying not to experience the dukkha, there is craving in it. That is a one thing not to experience dukkha. Did you even see it? And then at some point you gave up trying to push it away, you just accept it. Ah, okay, what to do? Just accept it, Lord. Then that is the third noble truth. Did you see it? Being able to follow and see and understand. These are the mental features of the mind. Being able to spot, see, understand, and see that correlation between what you are experiencing and Dhamma, that requires Panya. And the point when you say, because I'm practicing in this manner, I can see the dukkha diminishing. My experience of dukkha is diminishing. You see a correlation between your practice 
according to the Eightfold Path and the experience of Dukkha as diminishing. To be able to see that is Panya. Okay? And then, here we talk about making correct choices and decisions and how to do it. You see, as you live life, there are many things that we do in a day. In a day, oh, let's not say a day, in one hour, there are many choices that we make. Panya is when you know how to make the correct choices. Actually, I'm going to elaborate on all these subsequently. I should not have elaborated them on them here. Okay. Now, this is how I'm going to discuss Panya in the practice. Okay. We're going to do it in terms of three steps journey, the beginning, the middle, and the end. What do we mean by beginning, middle, and the end? Beginning is when you decide to start the journey. Middle is in the midst of it as you are trying to practice and grow and see and learn. The end is when you finally realize, hopefully before death comes. Okay? Whatever gets there first. Realization at the end, okay? Now, I'm going to go into each of them in detail, so no need to get too excited about it. Huh? The start point. It requires wisdom for you to even say, I want to practice. Because if you say, I want to practice, there are further decisions to make. And the first one is, I got to learn to control my instincts. And that's not easy. Because very often, when you find yourself trying to fight your instincts, you find that the struggle is even more dukkha, more painful than merely just caving in. Right? That's okay. That's only the start point. Start point, you know, when you, when you were a baby and you were making your first attempt to stand, that was the hardest. But once you get it, it wasn't so bad. Same thing. Dhamma is the same. When you first start out, very tough. But once you get the hang of it, after a while, it is just like that. It's not that difficult, okay? What is the use of Panya at the beginning of a journey? First, at the very, very first stage, we're looking at having a basic doctrinal, correct, sorry, a correct basic doctrinal understanding. What do we mean by just this statement? Start point, huh? right at the start, even before you start to do anything. You have to, at the very minimum, see this. Four Noble Truths, meaning to say, you actually sit down and say, Buddha is correct. The very nature of life carries within its seeds of unpleasantness. It is correct. If you don't even see this, if you do not even in your mind accept that being alive, going through life, there will be many moments of unpleasantness. If you don't even see this, then this Dhamma journey that we talk about 
you wouldn't understand. To you, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. Why do I have to act with restraint? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? Shook, just for the shock factor. <laughs> Trying not to smack the mosquito that's buzzing around me. Uh, it's not shock, you know, it's tough. Hold yourself in. Hold yourself. Don't, don't, don't smack, don't smack. You can hold yourself in. It's not easy. Or why, why cannot I eat the last piece of cake after you have eaten like eight? <laughs> Apart from the weight factor. Well, because there's so much craving, you're just going on indulging yourself endlessly. Okay, so seeing dukkha is just step one. Realizing that the dukkha is the result of our instincts of craving is step two. Learning to moderate your craving and then realizing that in the moderation you feel better is step three. And the practice requires some sacrifices on your part is step four. Having just this is what we call basic wisdom, basic panya, okay? And, and, not just that, having some basic impression of impermanence. Basic, huh? Nothing very complex here yet. To have this is what in the sutta calls samaditi pubangama. Having the right view is foremost. Having the right understanding is foremost. This is foremost. Dukkha, craving, moderation, bliss. This basic correlation is foremost. You don't start from this point, you're going all over the place. So, panya, having this panya enables you to just know this at the start. Then, if you have panya, you will say, okay, Lord, I can see dukkha, I don't like it. I can see craving, I don't like it. I can see that when I, mod when I have moderation, I feel better. I think I want to practice. I want to practice. So, understanding in a very basic way your doctrine doesn't make it obvious that you will want to practice. How many of us has, heard, has actually heard of the Four Noble Truths from a very young age? Now you how old already? <laughs> then right now we say, uh, maybe about time. Lah. A lot of us have heard of it. Some of us even learn it in school, past exams or more. O-levels, right? Past O-levels. Huh? O-levels, yeah. Some of us, five-year-old, six-year-old, go to what, Sunday school. Oh, so good, learn all these things. But do we get it? Did we want to practice then? No lah. At that time, what's there to practice? Don't understand lah. For noble truth, I can rattle it off, but that's about it. That's a very superficial, conceptual impression. Very conceptual. So, and, and, some of us, even though we understand, even though it makes sense, but then we will say, uh, later lah, I retire first. Now I'm still working, cannot practice. Others will say, yeah, I go look after family, have to practice, we got time. All kinds of excuses. So therefore, it takes a little mundane panier 
a little mundane wisdom to want to practice. So, you understand the basic doctrines? You understand basic doctrines? Then you make, make the decision to say, I think I will give it a shot. Just these two already got panya. Okay? See, you are much wiser than you think. Okay. Now comes this tricky one. Now that you have panya, you want to practice. No, no, just think about it. The ones, the, those of you who have already started, who have already got onto the bus, okay? In the first place, got to find the bus. Right? If you want to practice, where do you go? Which teacher do you follow? What tradition is correct? What exactly did he teach? Ah, monastery, temples, and so on, right? The point is this, huh? When you first set out, you don't know any better. You may have read a lot of books. You may have listened to a, quite a few talks. In fact, you may be a serial talk attendee. Every talk, every monk come to town, you must check it out. Ayah, today got two some more. How to go? Lum jampas, you know? So you have all these decisions to make. Decisions, decisions. And do you know better? You don't. But you just check it out. Lah. Try it out. Okay? Now, it requires some panya to make sense. It requires some panya to make sense of your options, your choices. It requires some panya for you to be able to say, I think, and to dare to make that judgment, I think this teacher may be not so correct. That teacher seems to make a bit more sense. Not everyone correct, everyone makes sense. Everyone saying different things, all correct. What is wrong with you? You understand? So, having the wisdom, this is all very mundane, having the wisdom to say, I think this one is correct, and that one... I'm not so sure about the doctrine. You think about it. You have made choices, yes? All of you, I'm very sure. How many of you, ask the right question, get the right answer you want. How many of you just came to BF and that's it, never go anywhere else? Well, you all went everywhere. <laughs> North, South, East, West, Singapore, check it out already. Even went to Malaysia. Right? Yeah, precisely. I mean, this, and, and, and is this your first tradition? No? Yes? How many yes? Oh, clever. How many no? Oh, clever too. <laughs> hey, you found your way here, ma? Yeah, hold the, rest. the rest didn't want to answer me. <laughs> they are too shy. They're still thinking about their options. No, that, no, that's the thing, you see. Very often, when we are new on this game, you don't know where to go. So what do you do? You check out anything that says Buddhist. Buddhist Association, Buddhist Library, Buddhist Fellowship, ah, good name. Put the name Buddhist in front, someone will come. <laughs> you know, because if you're looking for something, this is where you go, right? Buddhist organization, you know, give it a bit more atas, but a bit atas and people come, okay? Make it too complex, people don't understand the name, wouldn't come. Because they don't know what is going on, okay? Now, 
you have to because unfortunately unfortunately being human we are caught up with chemistry charisma style of teaching all these things that's not very pioneer <laughs> being drawn towards the superficial is not pioneer being drawn towards the substance the content is pioneer okay know the difference so pioneer very mundane wisdom enables you to pick the right teacher to chase after the correct doctrine to know when to back away sometimes you can have a correct teacher but maybe up to a certain level and then you need to find someone else to supplement that can happen they are on the right track but maybe they didn't quite teach all the way and then if you choose wrongly you pick someone who is actually correct but your level his level not same <laughs> so what he say you don't understand <laughs> then you say he probably not right but it's because you not right requires pioneer also to say maybe i'm not ready for this level then go somewhere else and find something that you can understand okay okay all of the above are mundane wisdom you don't need special insight you just need a bit of street smart but there's still wisdom okay why did i call something mundane profound because something in you tells you to go for it for you to continue searching for the dhamma something in you must tell you i have to go for it i need something beyond just what's going on in my mundane life i want spirituality having that sense of i want to go after spirituality and it is the dhamma that i want and it is the buddha's dhamma that i'm chasing that requires some degree of panya okay and this panya that got you to chase after the correct bus and to go up that bus this panya is going to serve you well all the way to the end you must at least have that as a start point without that as a start point you don't even get onto the bus then you will be chasing around in your 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 mundane world just chasing around there okay middle along the way so i said the journey is to be covered in three parts right start off with the beginning then we go into the middle and then eventually i'll tell you about the end in this middle part of the journey a lot of things happen you start to go deeper into the doctrine you look at different explanations about what you're supposed to do and sometimes in fact not sometimes many a times people will get confused so panya enables you to navigate the practice understand the concepts and practice it correctly You see earlier on I mentioned about four noble truths right and I said the very first step that you need to understand is dukkha and then you realize that craving is what gives rise to the deep sense of dukkha if you can learn moderation you'll feel better I said that right yes. so logical isn't it 
By now, you all will say, yeah, logical, no problem. That's what I meant when I said deceptively easy. It's logical. It makes a lot of sense. Then what's the problem? Why is it entering the stream so difficult? Because entering the stream actually means you know these things. So what is so difficult about something which is so logical and rational? Not difficult. Why is it so difficult? So that's the point about the sense that we're not quite getting it. We get it, but yet we are not getting it. What's going on? You see, Dhamma is not about understanding conceptually. Dhamma is in realizing Intuitively, you realize something to a point that it starts to change the way you see things, understand things, the way you make your choices, your, prior, your, your, your priorities in life, they start to change. But how does that happen? Let me ask you this. Huh? we do a bit of experiment. You're all grown up, right? Deceptively easy question. You're all grown up, right? Not you came from here, then you grow to here, right? Yes? It's not a trick question. <laughs> it's not a rhetorical question. I need an answer. Yes, right? Yes. Meaning to say that you have changed. There was a time in your life when you were younger. Your priorities were different. People stare at you, you stare back. People stare at you already, you get defensive. Th there was a time you were very different, yes? yes. Who say no? <laughs> Who dare say no? <laughs> Everybody start looking at you. Okay, seriously, you feel free to say no. Okay, you have changed. Then the question is, why? How? Why did you change? How did you change? Did you change for the better? Or have you changed for the worse? Don't have to answer me. <laughs> but the more important question is, why did you change? Can you think about that? I give you one minute, just reflect. Why did you change? Was it because someone took you under their wings, your mentor, and then because of the values that the person was teaching you, you start to change your mind about things? Was it because of life conditioning experience? You went through life, you learn things, you tell yourself things, you grew up. Was that because of that? Was it because you saw an event, it changed you completely as a person? Your priorities, your values, everything changed. The point is, when something sinks in, it changes you. You will look at the world differently. Dhamma experience is like that. Dhamma experience is not something you understand conceptually and you go off from there. It has to be something you experience. You have to see the Four Noble Truths as, it oper as they operate. You have to see Anicca Dukkha Anatta as they happen. And then you start to realise that all your assumptions about things, about life, about how things should be. All your assumptions are shaken. 
and you change. It is that part that is difficult. For Dhamma to touch you in such a way that it changes the way you see the world, that part is difficult. And until that happens, until the Dhamma touches you in that way, and you change the way you look at the world, you actually haven't realised. You haven't really understood. You know, conceptually you know, but you haven't internalised the teaching such that it changes you as a person. Yet, it cannot be just feeling, feeling. It has to be understood. So to understand, there has to be a thinking mind. And Panya, Panya is a combination of that thinking mind, the realising mind, the mind that makes sense, the mind that knows what's going on. There's a whole lot of things that it has to do. So for you to be able to figure out Dhamma, you need that Panya, that mind to grow. It is not intellectual and yet it requires intelligence. It's not intellectual, but it requires intelligence. It requires a thinking mind. Okay? So, I'm going to cite some examples by, the word, by some of the words that you are by now quite familiar with. The word dukkha. We have said again and again, dukkha is a spectrum, a range of negative experiences. Yes? Yeah? So anything that is negative, you feel it, you don't like it, that's dukkha. We all have experienced dukkha. Yes? Who hasn't? Okay. Logical question, ma. Yet, I said you need panya to recognize dukkha. Why? We have all experienced dukkha. When people die, we cry. When people leave, we cry. When we're not with someone we love, we cry. When you hit and it hurts bad, you cry. See, not we cry, you cry. <laughs> and yet, I said you need panya to recognize it as taught by the Buddha. Because we experience dukkha, we feel dukkha, we don't understand dukkha. To experience it and feel it, you are just caught up in it. To understand it is to see it objectively, that's all. You are looking at it and understand the nature, the features of it. It's just like that. You get to a state where you're relatively more detached with regards to both physical and mental pain. So, Panya enables you to look at the features of dukkha objectively. And as you are observing the negative sensations, you are also able to say, it's okay, this is natural, it is life's motions. And you are better able to hold up to it. So, Panya enables you to know what's going on, understanding what, what it is, and then make choices. I will take this. I will write this. I will live with this. 
it's okay, requires the pioneer to say, let's keep going. Okay? Craving. All of us have craving, yes? You say you've got dukkha, surely got hate craving, ma? So all of us have craving. What is so difficult about understanding craving? You will say, I cannot toss and turn by craving all the time. But, again, it's this thing. To be able to spot the energy of craving as it surges and not be caught up by the energy of craving. And then knowing that this is just an energy of craving, that requires panya. To be able to do that is panya. You need panya for the mind to be able to say, I will sit it out with the craving and the dukkha. With craving, there's dukkha. For the mind to say, it's okay, I will live with it, I will not push it away, I will tahan. Learn. Run, run, run. Salam. Run. Okay? That requires atong. Yeah. That requires panya. The Hokkien translation is from him. To know something objectively, sorry, to know it, to know the craving, to be objective about the craving. To even know that you are being objective about that craving all requires panya. In other words, panya enables you to know what is going on in your mind as it is happening. Panya allows you, enables you, at some point in your practice, uh, this, is, this is all part of practice. You see, the instinct, our instinct is when something is unpleasant, we want to push it away. That's your instinct. You require Panya to tell you, wait, don't push. Live with it. You understand what I'm saying? Our instinct typically is to just push. When something is unpleasant, we don't like it, we want to get out of the way. This is your instinct. It requires you to have wisdom to say, I recognize that this is pain. I recognize that this is craving. It is happening right now. I recognize I must not push. Because when I want to push and get out of the way, that in itself is another craving. You know it. You recognize it. And you tell yourself, back off. I will not push. I will be patient. I will sit and wait with it. I'll wait it out. I'll wait out that craving. To be able to make that decision is panya. And then as you are waiting it out, meaning you are riding the pain, you are riding that craving, your mind is busy noting the sensations and learning from the experience. How much you can learn from that experience requires panya. What you take away from the experience, what you understand by that practice, requires panya, wisdom. And then, at some point, if you successfully wait it out, meaning that craving comes and it goes, and you keep watching it until it fades, at some point you realise what you were doing, you were waiting it out, and your mind starts to feel better, 
you better catch it. To catch it is panya. To understand, to understand and catch it, and know you must remember it, is panya. So the entire practice, how far you can go, how fast you can go, what are you doing in the practice requires panya. That's why panya is what I call chief of stuff. Okay? Know what is going on in the mind, seize and understand mental phenomenal correlation of Buddha's teaching, and know what to do about practice. Knows what is going on in the mind. Remember the part where I said it looks at the phenomenal, it knows this is feeling, perception, thinking, thought formation. A lot of us, when there is thought formation, we will run with the thoughts. We will just continue thought after thought. We are part of thought. You're stuck in thought. Thought is you. You are thought. That's, unfortunately, the way we behave. Panya. Panya, if you are sharp and fast enough, it is this wisdom that enables you to say, that is thought. This is Shankara, thought formation. Don't chase. Panya knows what it is and tells you the way to do it is don't follow it. So you need this chief of staff to tell you can do this, cannot do this, must do this, and why must do this. It understands. And understand the core. This second point is important. Constantly, in this practice, constantly you have to see the correlation between what's going on and the Buddha's teaching. If you don't see that, you don't see the correlation, you are not getting it. Why is it so important that you must keep seeing the correlation between what's going on in here and the Buddha's teaching? One, it adds faith. Every time you see the correlation, it increases your faith. Two, the Buddha's teaching is a roadmap. It tells you where to go and what to do. You don't see the correlation, you know which part of the map to look at or not. It's like going somewhere, you have, now, I know these days we depend on GPS. And GPS tells you, turn right in 300 meters. Right? Okay. In the old days, before some of your time, we actually have to look at maps. This is before the time of GPS lah, and Google Map. So you have to look at maps. And in the map, you need to place where you are relation, relative to where you are going. You look. The Buddha's teaching is a map. It tells you where you are, what you should be doing, where you should be going, how you should get there. So part of the practice will require you, will require you, to know where you are, what's going on in the mind is where you are, how you should be practicing next, what you should be looking out for in your meditation, what you should look at. Panya is what is required to tell you what to do. Okay? That's, that's one part. Having basic understanding of the doctrine and knowing what to do is just one part. There is another part which deals with making choices in life. 
What do I mean by that? You say you want to practice, yes? Practice is not just sitting in meditation, you know. So one hour, okay, maybe not one hour, 30 minutes a day, you are in practice. What about the rest of the 23 hour and 30 minutes? Yeah, the rest of the 23 hours and 30 minutes, what do you do apart from eight hours sleeping? Practice, right? It, the practice must spill into daily life. So what it means is in daily life, when things are not looking right, when things are not going your way, or even when things are going your way, you have to make choices too. Are you making the right choices? It actually requires panya, wisdom, to guide you to make right choices by the practice. What do we mean by that? You know, we always say that when it comes to sila, sila morality, okay? Why do we observe morality? Because morality helps to keep our conscience free. Why is it important to keep your conscience free? So that your mind is light and happy and therefore able to concentrate in meditation, okay? Why do we observe trying to do good and not do evil? In the practice, by now it's not just sila, it's about the practice. Why do we want to do good, do no evil in the practice? What it means is, there are some things that we do which will take you further away from Nibbana. There are some things that we do which will take you closer to Nibbana. What do we mean by that? You see, if we gossip, simple things, sampapalapa, just talk, 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 okay? Gossips. When you gossip, your mind shakes a lot. When your mind shakes a lot, try to meditate after that. Very tough. Simple thing like caving in, giving in, giving in to your craving, left, right, center, just giving in. Why is that a problem? There's not, it's not against any law. Unless you could steal people's thing. Lah. Otherwise, it's not against any law to just have craving. Only in Buddhism, we say it's bad, it's bad. But actually, it's not against any law. Why is it so bad? Because by giving in all the time, you know you're increasing your dukkha. Number two, by giving in all the time, it takes you further away from being able to see the mind that goes quiet. Not letting go enough, the mind can't go quiet. You are further and further away from Nibbana. Having panya enables you to decide choices down to that level. Should I do this or should I not do this? If I were to do this, does it take me further from Nibbana? If I were to do that, will it take me closer to Nibbana? Some of us in very mundane life, I even make a distinction between mundane life and very mundane life. What's the difference? Mundane life tries to practice a bit. Lah. Full moon, new moon practice, you know? <laughs> Very mundane life, full moon, new moon. Huh? Got moon, meh? <laughs> Very mundane means they don't care, okay? Okay. <clears throat> we are living a mundane life. Not very mundane life, right? We are gearing towards the mundane life. Even in the mundane life, you want it to be happy, ma? You want yourself to be happier. To be happier would require you 
to learn how to moderate expectations. Moderate. And to moderate requires panya. Just to know that you need to moderate requires panya. To know how to moderate requires even more panya. Okay? That's what it means. We understand why negative instincts are bad for us. We learn to tame the instincts. We know how to do it. Do you know why you're doing all these things? Why do you want to observe precepts? Why do you eradicate nivaranas? Why do you practice virya? Lesson six liao leh. Yes, to clean up the mind space. But why? Why do you clean up the mind space? For meditation. Why do we meditate? To bring the mind, to slow down the activities in the mind. Why do you need to slow down the activities in the mind? So that you can start to see how the mind works. See, we're doing the Buddha way, you see. Make it really fine steps, fine steps. Why do we want to see how the mind works? Why do we want to see how the mind works? Sorry? Seeing things as they really are. Why do we want to do that? To get out of Dukkha. Good try. <laughs> to see things as they really are, when you see the things as they really are, are you then able to let go? Ultimately, it's about whether you can let go. Do you know how to? Do you want to? Do you know how to? It's, it boils down to that final question. So we do all these things, so much work to do, observe recess, eradicate nevaranas, practice virya, we do all these things so that the mind can go quiet. And then we can practice to see the mind, see it as it is. Seeing it as it is, so that at some point we finally say, I think I can let go. Okay? That will be lesson 9 and 10. And conversely, we cultivate them. Why do we cultivate positive mental states? What are the positive mental states? Why do we have to do this? You all know why we cannot do the bad ones. The good ones? Positive mental states will create a sense of pleasantness in the mind. It keeps the mind light. When the mind is light, the mind can concentrate. That is why in the, if you look at uh, the seven factors of enlightenment, starting from right, right mindfulness, that investigation of Dhamma, and then you have Virya, and then you have Piti, Pasadi, Samadhi. Piti, that joy. <laughs> I always call it Piti. Rapture, right? Um, Pasadi, tranquility. Samadhi, concentration. Piti is the joy that pops up, making you very happy. Sometimes, another word that they use, together with Piti, Piti, Sukha, happiness. So all these pleasant states causes the mind to be light, 
soft, better able to steal, go steal, okay? Now, what are Brahma Viharas, Paramis, uh, meritorious, this we have said before. Brahma Viharas, Meta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka. What are all these states? These are states where the mind is very positive, very giving, very loving, very kind, and yet at the same time, somewhat detached. It has to be detached. If it were very kind, very loving, very giving, but not detached, you also sob and cry. You get caught up, okay? Very caught up. Paramis are uh, perfections. And actually, the or in original Buddhism, the old traditional Buddhism, they were, not, they were mentioned of paramis, but not listed down. Subsequently, you hear about six paramis in the Mahayana tradition, ten paramis in the Theravadan tradition. These are virtues that people add on to say it is important as part of the practice. Okay? To want to develop skills, to elevate the mind so that you can have mindfulness and concentration. You can do mindfulness and concentration meditation. That's the intent. When you have panya, you make correct choices, okay? And what I mean by correct choices, I'll just give them all to you. You start off by saying that, I choose, I want to, I choose to do good, do no evil, because I believe that these choices will take me close, closer to spiritual enlightenment. You choose to do good. You opt out of doing evil because it's not the I'm doing it that matters. It's why I'm doing it. The reason why I'm doing it is because I believe that when I make these correct choices, it will make me a better practitioner. I can understand the Dhamma better. Same thing. I choose to give. I choose not to be caught up in things. I choose not to one, 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 one so much. If I choose to moderate once, I would be happier. You know it. You choose to do it because you know the results will be like this. Okay? Same thing. Why do you choose not to lose your temper and just lash out? It's actually keeping your ego intact. Increases, increases in you the sense that this I, increasing in you the sense that the I is just an energy. You learn to let it go. Don't let it stir too much. Same thing. Many a times we are nasty, we are, we are unfriendly because of our ego. Many a times. So you learn to trim that. Ultimately, I choose to live wisely, to let go, to curb anger, be harmless, and in so doing, be balanced and happy. All choices made as a result of panya. You think, you may think that these are just words, platitudes. Just words, uh. really? The time when you got angry and you are able to stop yourself from lashing out, what did it take? 
fear of karma. Odds are when you were angry, you're not thinking of karma, okay? The only way you'll hold back is because your love for someone is stronger, then you hold yourself back, don't bite. Or because you're scared, you bite already, they're going to bite back. <laughs> that can happen. But, but the best way to nail it is to be able to say to yourself, don't let it blow up. I don't need this ego blowing up. Don't need the ego blowing up, okay? The time when you choose to give rather than consume, it's the last piece of cake you love, or a pie that you love. It's the last piece. When do you give it up? You give it up? Give up already, don't regret. Give up already, must rejoice. It's a re, but it's a rejoice, okay? Give it up because you feel happy that someone else is going to be happier for the experience, okay? All these, when it is happening to you, when you are making your choices, at the point when you're making your choices, it requires panya. At the point when you're doing it. Assuming you know what you're doing. Some of us, we are doing it thinking that we should be doing it so that we are good Buddhists. A bit salah. <laughs> it is not that I'm doing it so that I'm a good Buddhist, because that's also flattering your own ego. It's that I'm doing it because, one, someone else is benefiting from it. Two, it helps your mind to stay light. The giving up helps the mind to stay light. Number three, the third thing. Panya keeps us on track for Dhamma realization. I'm not saying something new. You think about it. To see the Dhamma is very difficult. What do I mean by seeing Dhamma is very difficult? Because Dhamma is against instincts. You see, your instinct says accumulate is good. Gratify. Gratify your sense basis is good. This is what your instincts tell you to do. Accumulate, indulge, enjoy. Right? Dhamma says, let go. <laughs> Don't hold on to things. Chasing after them is dukkha. It fights instinct. It goes against instinct. So the very first step of seeing this Dhamma is already so tough. It goes against your instincts. And then there will be days, now, so strategically it's like that, huh? not tactically, tactically, day by day. I got good days, I got bad days. There are days when I feel very tired, don't feel like meditating. There are days when, don't know why you wake up in the morning already, the world is against you. You feel that way. And on those days, doesn't matter, still need to practice. Even more negativities to fight. And then, of course, there are good days. Uh. Naturally, there are good days. The only problem is, good days don't come as often as bad days. Eh? <laughs> for some of us. Uh. For others, maybe not like that. But for some of us, good days less than bad days. Then what happened? You still have to continue. It is the pania, the wisdom, that tells you, be patient. We, we need to do this. We have to continue practicing. We keep going. It is Panya that tells you, 
I will stay on track. And then the times when you go on a retreat, it gets very tough, I want to give up. You need that panier to tell you, hang on, don't go. Something good will come out of this. You need this kind of little, little nuggets of panier. This, is not, this has nothing to do with realisation yet. Huh? It is just panier keeping you on track. Okay? Realisation is a separate story altogether. Now, we're talking about different parts of the, of the journey, your Dhamma journey, right? And now we're reaching at a point, a point when if you were a, a practitioner, you start to wonder, how does Panya help you understand what is Dhamma? All this while, Panya keeps you going, enables you to decide that there's some things you want to do, why you must do it, and how to do it right. But ultimately, it's about seeing Dhamma, realising Nibbana. How does Panya come in? I think the very first thing that it helps you realise for a practitioner is at some point when the Dhamma starts to make sense to you, you will be able to tell for yourself what is Dhamma and what is not Dhamma? What is the practice and what is not part of the practice? This, this realisation, mind you, uh, this is a realisation. The realisation for yourself, the practitioner, the realisation for yourself, what is correct teaching and what was probably not taught by Buddha, not real, not correct. The knowing the difference requires panya. The moment you can tell for yourself what is Dhamma and what is not Dhamma, you know there is a functioning panya mental, mental faculty in you. That you are able to say this is Dhamma, this is not Dhamma, to be able to make that call and confidently make that call, requires panya. And I say this is an extremely important part of the spiritual growth. It's a stage, it's a, it's a level where you realised it. You are now changing. You are now beginning to understand Dhamma. And only when you're beginning to understand Dhamma are you able to make that distinction. But, being able to make this distinction in itself is not realisation. It's not finished. It is an important part of the journey. It is important because for the practitioner, it helps them. It helps them to strengthen the faith, to strengthen conviction about practice. And you need the panya to know the difference. To know the difference in the mind, the, pan, the guy, the practitioner, in his mind, he knows. This is one state when I don't know what's Dhamma. This is now a state where I know Dhamma. You understand? For the person who is experiencing spiritual growth, 
how does he know he is growing? One of the things he starts to look out for is he starts to ask himself, do I know what is Dhamma? And am I sure that this is Dhamma? Someone with a, with a pannier that's working correctly will begin to be able to say, I know this is Dhamma and I know this is not Dhamma. Number one. Number two, able to say that at one stage my mind wouldn't know the difference. Now my mind knows the difference. And he knows. The knowledge that he now understands Dhamma Adhamma, that knowledge, he knows he has that knowledge, he knows this is part of spiritual growth. That is important. Okay? And to know that this growing knowledge is indeed happening in his mind. For those of you who are not practitioner, who is new to this game, you have no idea what I'm saying. For those of you who are practitioner, who have been searching for Dhamma and have been practicing and been going for retreats, you know exactly what I'm saying. The question for you, for you to answer for yourself, is do you, do you have the confidence that you already hit this stage? Are you aware whether or not you are in this stage or not? If you are aware you are already in this stage, congratulations, you have experienced spiritual growth. This is an extremely important milestone. Okay? One level. Next level. Panya is required for the mind to be able to spot. Spot, huh? Spot is not see. That's why spot, see, realize, understand. Rising and falling away of mental phenomenal. I will give you the sutta where the Buddha said, He is wise. He possesses Wisdom regarding rise and disappearance that is noble, penetrative, and leads to the complete destruction of Dukkha. Sekha Sutta, Majjaman Kaya 53. What does it mean? Buddha's definition of what is Panya. This is Buddha's definition of what is Panya. And Buddha is saying that Panya means being able to see rising and the disappearance of mental phenomenal. A mental state comes up, a mental state dissipates. A, mental, a sensation arises in the mind, that sensation dissipates. You must be able to see it, to spot that there is this change going on in the mind. Spot that it is happening See as it happens, understand what is happening. And if you can understand as it happens, you have panya. That's what the Buddha is saying. So the first stage is when you can tell for yourself what is Dhamma, what is not Dhamma. The second stage is if you start to look at the mind, you are beginning to be able to see changing phenomenal in the mind as they happen. 
The word seeker means trainee. Trainee. So this is a practitioner suitor. If you are looking for a suitor, go check out 53. Okay? Finally, Panya knows what to do at journey end, the realization of Nibbana. Wait, huh? let me just give you the sutta where it is said. What is the purpose of Panya? In other words, why have Panya? What is so important about Panya? Reply, the purpose of Panya is direct knowledge, full understanding. Its purpose is abandoning. What does this mean? Earlier on, I ran you guys through a series of questions and answers, remember? Why do you want to do this to your mind? What is the purpose of seeing this mind as it is? It's here. The purpose of seeing the mind is so that you know what's going on. If you know what's going on in the mind, you understand how the mind works, can you let go? This is what the Buddha said. The purpose of wisdom is direct knowledge. What is direct knowledge? Meaning to say, as you observe the mind and see the arising and the falling away of sensations. This is not theoretical. Huh? Let's just sit here. You guys are all sitting here looking this way. Now, all oh, look this way. Okay. <laughs> don't look that way. Don't look that way. Just look this way. Okay. If you look at your mind... There was one stage where you were not looking here, you were looking somewhere else. You heard a command, it was a command. You heard a command, and then, your, and then you made a decision to either comply or not. Right? So you, some of you decided to comply, comply your head turn. You focus this way. How many mental stages had your mind gone through? Were you aware? You heard instruction, you were looking somewhere else, you heard an instruction, you decide whether to move or not, you move. Now you look this way. Five, at least five. Some of you maybe got 5,000, because in between 1,000 more, going all over the place. So all these were rising and falling away per sensation, per impression. But they all happened so fast, you didn't catch it. All you did was, look there, look here. Correct? So you didn't catch all the, interve all the intervening uh, mental states. You caught the key ones. And that's it. So in this, in this practice, when you start to slow down the mind, you will begin, you will, you will be able to start to catch parts. Not the whole thing, you don't have to catch everything, but you start to catch parts, the rising of this falling, rising, falling. In fact, the moment it rises, it has fallen. Rising cessation, rising cessation, rising, because it keeps coming at you, point after point after point after point. So, direct knowledge, the purpose of Panya is direct knowledge. It means to be able to look at the mind, see for yourself how the mind works as it is working. Direct knowledge, you now, right now, look at it and know it and register it. And if you register it correctly, you will understand absolutely. 
Now that you have understood abandoning, the purpose of it is for abandoning. Can you let it go? Can you let craving, your instincts to crave, can you let that instinct drop? Drop. Okay, I think difficult like that one. Maha Vedana, Vedala Sutta Majimanakanya 43, okay? Now, the last part of the talk, how do you develop Panya? For those of us, even for those of us who are quite confident about Panya, this is useful to know. Lah. Four things lead to the growth of Panya. What four? Four things lead to the growth of wisdom, growth of Panya. One, association with good people. Uh, Saprisa. People who are, in fact, when the Buddha used words like good people, he actually means Aryas. A bit tri tricky these days. In the old days, a lot of Aryas running around, but these days a bit trickier. So, good practitioners, okay? We will tweak it, lower the standard a little bit, and call it good, practice, good practitioner. Why is this important? This thing about associating with them. Associating with them doesn't mean... Uh, you just sit next to them, take picture. <laughs> it doesn't mean just staying with them, service to them, you know. They want to go somewhere, you fetch them here, there, everywhere. It doesn't mean that you do not rub off by association, okay? It means listening to them, learning from them, learning from them. Why is it important to learn from these guys? Because they know what they are saying. These are the real practitioners. They know what they are doing. If you don't learn from someone who knows what's, what should be done and how it is supposed to be done and how to understand it, then who do you want to learn from? You, you get what I mean? So the idea here is go and sit with someone who understands the Dhamma and is teaching correctly, okay? Second, hearing the good Dhamma, okay? This one here means listening to correct, having access to the correct teaching, okay? And hearing implies you paying attention and registering it, remembering it. To hear and not remember is no use. Okay? And, and, and emphasis is actually on two things here. One is on hearing and registering, and two, good dhamma, correct dhamma. Okay? Now, if you were associating with good people, so the word is always good. Associating with good people implies someone who knows what he's saying then the odds are you'll have a chance to hear the correct Dhamma. If you are associating with someone who doesn't know what he's hearing, or what he's saying, doesn't really understand Dhamma, then you are not going to hear the good Dhamma. You hear the pirated version. <laughs> and we know pirated version not always the best reproduction. Huh? Okay. Uh, this word... In Pali, is Yoniso Manasikara, okay? This careful attention is not careful attention to what is said to you. It is not. This one is 
in your own mind, you see the phenomenal changing, the rising and falling away of the phenomenal, you observe these phenomenal carefully, paying attention to the changes in the mind and in the form. The word in Pali implies, it's exactly as it is. Manasikara is putting attention to something. Yoniso is correct attention. So therefore, the translation is not wrong. Except that you've got to understand the, the word together in order to fully appreciate the meaning of this terminology. And the meaning here is about the practice. Hence the last one here, practicing in accordance with Dhamma. What does it mean? Okay. The Dhamma prescribes steps, eightfold path. You will observe all eightfold paths. As, they ex as it's explained, you will practice accordingly. But that's practicing. To practice, say, um, Silla, for instance. There's a whole section on Silla, right? Eightfold path, whole section on Silla. Right speech, right action, right livelihood, you know? You will do as prescribed to the letter as the principles dictate. Careful attention is daily basis, on a daily basis, point to point, you observe how your mind works. Observing how the mind works, mindfully, sharply, diligently, you just follow, observe. Collectively, it should increase panya. How does it work? Look at it. Why would these four lead to panya arising? Actually, it boils down to two sets of things. Huh? It's just two sets of things, which I've mentioned before. One, parata gohosa. How do you, okay, you ask yourself, how do you increase knowledge of something? How do you increase understanding of something? One, is you go on the net, you do your research, you dug up whatever available material on a subject matter, yes? You want to know more about something, you just go and dig up the relevant research material about something. What does this mean? It means you go outside of yourself to look for data. Association with good person, hearing the good Dhamma means you are collecting information on Dhamma from an external source. That's what it means. And where else can you learn Dhamma? But from, unless you already know Dhamma, but if you don't, then you need to go out and gather the material. At the time of the Buddha, there were no written articles. No written articles, you must hear from someone. Therefore, hearing the good Dhamma associating with the right fellows who knows what they're doing and what they're saying. Today is different. Today you have written material all over. So I would add the point that if you know who is a good practitioner through word of mouth, you know that someone has written very good articles, it is perfectly fine to go online, look for their material, look for their teachings, download it, learn it. That's fine. It's part of the Paratakohosa, learning from an external source. But that doesn't mean you know someone doesn't have a great reputation, but no, must check it out. Give people some 
benefit of the doubt. Did the Buddha say that? Give people benefit doubt? No, Buddha says association with good people. So don't waste time. Time is precious. Just go for the, the solid ones, okay? The next two, careful attention, practice in accordance with the Dhamma. This one pertains to within. Learning as you practice, learning from yourself, from within. You cannot do this without this. You understand that? You cannot just go and happily stare at your mind without having Dhamma knowledge. If you have Dhamma knowledge but you don't stare at the mind, it's also no use. These are empty information. The four must come together. You cannot have... Okay, why is it you can't just go practice, practice, practice without actually knowing what's Dhamma? You know better, meh? You're going to start new Dhamma, is it? You keep staring at your mind, but do you know what to look out for? Do you know how to look at the mind? What aspects of it you should be checking out? The Buddha gave you a roadmap to want to use. Why? Because I know better. So I would just stare at my mind and realize Dhamma myself. Is it going to be the new Buddha of the 21st century? No, if you want the Buddha's Dhamma, you go and check out Buddha's Dhamma. Use the Buddha's Dhamma, which is out there, to supplement your own practice. That's what it means. But if you are only listening, hearing, jotting down notes, lots and lots of it, copious text, but not practicing, then you're as good as a librarian. Or <laughs> you've collected a lot of data, a lot of material, you are Miss Wikipedia or Mr. Wikipedia. But that doesn't make you a practitioner and it doesn't make you a realized one. Get it? So all four must go together, okay? Okay, it is necessary to take a balanced view of Panya. Let me explain it a little bit further. You see, I, I said right at the start of the talk that Panya is intuitive wisdom. The word intuitive seems to imply that you either have it or you don't. It's, it sounds a bit like that. But that's not quite true because you can actually cultivate it. Okay? Which is why earlier on, Book of Four, Buddha said, if you do four things, it is possible for Panya to grow. If it were not possible for Panya to grow, why would he ask you to do four things to grow Panya? So Panya can grow. What it means is you may not be absolutely conscious of how your mind is growing. You, you gather the material, you store up the knowledge, there is more and more, there are more and more things for you to remember and register. You just gather the material. And then when you practice, you start following the steps. As the Buddha taught, you just follow the, the necessary meditation steps and look at the mind as he taught. Okay? By doing these two, they seem to be separate actions. You know, one is storing material, the other one is just staring at the mind. It seems to be very separate actions. But the reality is, inside your brain, some things are happening. They are gelling. There is a process where the mind subconsciously, not necessary, not necessary consciously, but just digesting, digesting, fouling, fouling happily. Everything all store up here. The day when you start to meditate, the mind 
if you have stored up sufficient material, the mind knows how to go and pull things out. It will know where to look for the material and correlate it to your experience. That's what I mean by saying, when I said it can, panya can be cultivated and can be developed. The point I want to make is it is not that difficult and one should not think that it cannot be done within this lifetime. In this lifetime, if you think about it, you have already put in a lot of work to study language. So you have command of language. Command of language means you can now gather material through your self-learning. Next life, assuming we are born human again, you've got to start from scratch and learn language before you get to a stage where you've got command of language to go and learn. You see what I'm saying? So let's just make use of this life first lah, and we see how far we can take this life. Okay, now that you have the language, now that you have access, because you must have access to internet, right? You don't have can go library, sure have one. Go have access to internet, you have access to a lot, a lot of writing on Dhamma. That's when you start gathering, okay? Uh, so, this slide is trying to encourage you to give it a shot. Next slide is to tell you, don't take it for granted. <laughs> Balanced view, you see. It is not difficult, but it is not a free ride. You need to put in the effort. You, need, you have to spend time to do your meditation, to stare at the mind, to study, to gather material. There are things to do. There's a lot of things to do. I suspect, correct me if I'm wrong, but I suspect that for many of us, we, we take shortcuts. Huh? We find somebody who knows a lot and just kind of dig it out from the person uh, so that we don't have to do our own reading and checking. I mean, I give you all the Majima Nikaya's reference, right? The odds are some of you may go check it out. Most of you won't. The odds are useful. If you are truly keen on the practice, you should check it out. In fact, you should just buy the book so that you, you can have it at, at, on hand you know, for easy reference. I, I want to just close with this point. If you know that you already but some of you clearly already have the sense that you know things and you are growing spiritually, that you sort of understand the Dhamma. It's easy in that state for us to take things for granted. We roughly know already, ma. We should be getting it right along the way. You know, Panya has to be cultivated constantly or otherwise it can fade. It can fade away. You hit a certain point of understanding. If you don't continue practicing, you can backslide. That's the problem. It's like all kinds of knowledge. For instance, you know, you drive. Some of you drive, some of you ride bicycles. If you stop driving or stop riding the bike for a while, what happened? Your skill gets rusty. 
It's like language, right? Your language skill can get rusty. Right at this point, you are trying to understand the Dhamma. You're trying to increase your understanding of the Dhamma, the knowledge. This attempt to increase, it can, it can continue. You can build on it. But if you stop reading and you stop practicing, there is a very high chance that you start to forget things. Buddha's Dhamma, you only remember two thirds. Previously, four noble truths. Now, three noble truths. <laughs> Somewhere in between, forgot. La. That's the easy one. Wait, wait till you get what 37 factors of enlightenment. You try to remember all 37. It gets tougher. And there are a lot, a lot of little, 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 little things which is part of the spiritual growth. It's part of that knowledge that you have to use to build an understanding. And those details, you will forget, especially if you haven't quite seen it. If you have seen something, harder to forget. You've seen it, harder to forget that, 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 that experience. But if you have not seen it, and all you are doing is gathering material, you will forget. Trust me. Because to you, it's just another kind of information to remember and use. Don't use it. Don't remember it. That's the problem. Okay? Um, that's all we have for Panya.